I'd like to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website, our deal site, where we give you bargains all the time from our deal diggers, ClarkDeals.com. And coming up in a half hour, we're going to talk about the idea that has caused so much buzz, these employees at a tech company in Wisconsin who have volunteered to have a chip implanted in them. It sounds like it's out of science fiction. It is science reality. And I'm going to give you my opinion on your employer putting a chip into you or into me in just a half hour. I want to talk to you about something that is a earthquake happening in the financial services industry and we busy with our own lives are not really aware of what's going on behind the scenes. But people who for decades have worked at full commission stockbrokerage houses are now saying no more and going out on their own. It really has come about because so many consumers for the first time are aware because the big fuss about something called being a fiduciary, which is where the person giving you financial advice, retirement advice, um, investment advice, that that individual generally and the financial world has been working against you, not for you. And as people have become more aware, it has brought the moral ethical dilemma front and center. And so a lot of people who maybe somebody has been doing your um, investing work for years suddenly tells you that they're leaving whoever they're with, they're going out on their own, and they would like to transfer your assets with them to typically Schwab or Fidelity or maybe it might be Ameritrade, but generally it'll be Schwab or Fidelity. And you may be wondering, what does this mean? Is this good for me, bad for me, or in between? Let me tell you something. It is great for you, great for you, if the person you've been with leaves somebody like Merrill Lynch and goes out on his or her own. Because if you're dealing with a full commission stockbrokerage, and I pick on Merrill Lynch just by naming, just because they're the biggest of the full commission stockbrokerages, but there are several of them. When you're with one of them, they have things that, their sales organizations, and they have the things they want their salespeople to be pushing. Those things do not have to be in your best interests and usually are not. That creates a terrible moral and ethical dilemma for someone who is there to help you is that over and over again they're told that they're not supposed to do what's in your best interests, that they're supposed to do what they're being told by the full commission stock brokerage what to put you in. 
Well, what happened behind the scenes several years ago was the discounters realized that they were in a great position to help people who work for the full commission houses to set up on their own, handle all their paperwork for them, handle the record keeping, the statements, and all that, and then you just pay that individual for his or her advice. And so that business is booming for good reason. And so if you're notified by somebody who you have been with for a long time that they're making a change from a full commission brokerage house to going out on their own and that it'll be a different kind of thing and your statements will come from blah, 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 it is to your direct and strong advantage because then their interests and your interests are aligned. And if they are behaving as a, as a fiduciary where they are working for your best interests, you don't have to worry about them putting you in something that may harm you over time because it helps the brokerage house. Instead, they are there earning your trust and earning your business by helping you meet your goals. Going to somebody for financial advice is not about somebody saying you should be in this stock or this bond or whatever. It's a whole picture thing. What are your goals? What are you trying to do? Do you want to go live on some tropical island? Do you want to, uh, whatever it is you want to do, what is it you're trying to make happen? Are there things you want to see that you're able to help your kids do or whatever it is? A real financial person is all about finding out what you're trying to accomplish and helping you get there and making sure along the way that you've done the other things you should do, like wills and there are trusts you need, whatever, that those things are done. So don't be surprised because there is a massive wave of people who are following this new path that if you have somebody who you've been loyal to, you will have a choice of staying with him or her or going to who knows who at the firm they're leaving. If that's somebody you really have had faith in, then follow them to where they go. But just make sure that where they go they are going to be taking on the responsibility of being a fiduciary. A simple concept, complicated word, that means your interests, your needs, or what they're there for. That's what comes first, last, always. Scott's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Scott. How you doing? I'm fine, Clark. How are you doing? Great, thank you. Now, I love what I, you know, I, when somebody's asking a question, Scott, I see just a few words about their question. And what I yeah. see about your question is basically, are you saving too much money for your kid's college? That is, well, yeah. that's a wonderful I, I, question. I hope so. so tell me what's the situation, what's going on? Well, so I have a rising uh, sophomore in high school, and I have a uh, 
rising sixth grader. And so we have 529 accounts for both of them. And uh, basically, my goal is to pay for their education, uh, you know, as, as far as they would like to go, uh, whether that be advanced degree or medical school or whatever. And I just want to know, you know, how much is too much? You, you know, I don't want I don't want to basically end up giving the government a, a, a big tax, uh, you know, check at the end if, if we don't use this money. Right, so you have a 10th grader, and the other child you said was 5th grader, rising 5th? Rising 6th. Rising 6th. All right. Yeah. So the strategy you can use when you have kids who are four grades apart is that you put money for the kids' college heavily in the account for the 10th grader. Okay. And the reason you do that is with 529 plans – you are able if, let's say, your 10th grader finishes education, still has money left over, you can transfer tax-free to the benefit of the 6th grader at any point. So uh, you can change what's known as the beneficiary designation. So you've got one kid who's going to, if your 10th grader gets through college in four years, They'll be finished when the next one's coming along. And so you'll you'll have a pretty good sense about what needs there may be for graduate school or whatever. You'll know. So you could even okay. do two-thirds, one-third, where you're saving more for the 10th grader than the 6th grader. Because it's and, the 6th si- grader who is the one who benefits from whatever money is left over from the 10th grader but if you think of it in reverse, if you're doing equal amounts and you're trying to husband cash, you could end up in a situation where you end up eventually with too much money in there for the sixth grader. Both have finished their college education years down the road, and you end up with excess funds, which is why it's best to front load for the older child rather than equally distribute for older and younger. I see. Okay. Now, is there a... a a goal amount I should have in mind, or is it... Um, well, it's it's pretty difficult to ever save yeah. enough in a 529 plan to outrun college expenses. You think your kids are likely to go to state schools or private colleges? Uh, I would think state school. So let's say that uh, they don't qualify for financial aid. You take the expenses that are that are all involved with college, a four-year degree can be 100000 at a state school when yeah. you take in all the expenses. What kind of track are you on as far as what kind of money you're looking at you might have saved by the time either child I'm, enters college? Well, I'm thinking for the my rising sophomore, I should have that 100000 pretty easy. Well, good um, for you. So, and, so and then, then if you're in a position greater. like that, then you will have done the right thing, and then you know you have this ability to transfer the money not needed to the one four years younger. I think you'll be in great shape. You're saving so much money for college. I just want to ask you one last question. Are you saving enough for your own retirement? Yes, I I believe I am. Okay, as long as you're getting that done first, your kids are, I hope they'll appreciate it someday, that you put all this money aside for them 
for college and keep that from being the burden we hear from so many people with the student loan debt. Speaking of burdens, Lee, out of nowhere, years later, you get a bill for an ambulance charge? Yes, Clark. Um, A little over two years ago, my daughter had to take the ambulance to the hospital, and I presumed that the ambulance bill was in the uh, emergency room bill. My insurance did cover the um, ER visit, but now two years later, without notification, I get a letter from the from a collection agency. So uh, it's possible payment. it's possible the ambulance company, when they transported your daughter, did not get good address information for billing purposes at that time and may not have actually ever had a proper address to send a bill to. Do you know uh, you have health insurance? Yes. Do you know if your health insurance would have covered any of the ambulance charge? It would have, but I think there was a 365-day grace period for filing, and we'll pass that. All right, here's what I'd like you to do, because this is a common complaint all over the country. And the rules vary by state on whether this can be submitted as what's referred to as a clean claim. I'm going to give you the information a second off the air. I want you to call your state insurance department and find out what your rights are under your state's law laws on being able to, at this late date, submit a claim for that ambulance. Okay. Uh, um, go ahead. And the, the letter they sent me just said the guardians of daughter's name. So they have very little information. They're Correct. just... Correct. I, I, I don't want to call them and give them all my information. Yeah, you're Correct. not going to call them. You're going to call your state insurance department. Find out what your rights are first. Okay. And then... That's how you'll proceed. And again, we're going to give you the information for your state insurance department. But this is the most common complaint I get about emergency medicine ever, is about the ambulance charge. And it is something that has been a thorn in people's wallets for as far back as I can remember. Hang on for that number. It's time for Ask Clark. You post a question for me at Clark.com. Joel asks it. And Joel, what are you going to ask? Yeah, Clark. Raymond wrote in and he says, what's the best place for me to go to refinance a student loan? Well, the thing with student loans is that if they are private student loans, refinancing is fine. If they are federal student loans, usually you should not do it. Ninety some odd percent of student loans are federal The reason you don't want to refinance a federal student loan is that you have consumer rights, borrower rights, with a federal student loan that do not exist with a private student loan, such as if you lose your job or you get sick, you are allowed to be considered to be current even if you can't make payments. There's no such flexibility with a private loan. However, there are times where uh, even going from a federal loan to a private loan may be significantly cheaper on interest rate. There are two sources I have recommended for if you're refining a private to a private and then rarely a federal to a private, look at SoFi.com, S-O-F-I.com and Credible.com. 
C-R-E-D-I-B-L-E.com. And don't look at variable rates. Only look at fixed rate refinances. All right, Clark. Pat wants to know, can you give me the lowdown on geek.com? How in the world can they offer everything so cheap? Their prices are insane. There's geek.com, wish.com, AliExpress. These are sellers of goods that are sourced principally from China and other countries in Asia. They allow people overseas who manufacture to have a sales channel to Americans. The delivery takes, in some cases, months for the stuff to get to you. The quality may or may not be okay, but the prices are just about the best on the web. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our web address. Clark.com slash ask is where you go to ask me questions, and you want to just ask a question of my staff, well, that's free, too, and available to you very conveniently, nine hours each weekday. You can see how to do that, how to call in, what hours available on the homepage of Clark.com. We meet each day before we do the show with uh, TV staff, radio staff, digital staff. And we were talking about this technology company in Wisconsin that offered to its employees the ability to have a chip implanted like people do for their pets where if the pet goes missing that hopefully the pet owner can find his or her pet well now this company wants to put those or made it optional for employees to have a chip implanted that would take the place of a work id and you just the chip has uh the short range frequency in it i guess it's rfid and so you come up to a place to come in and you just hold your hand up and bam it identifies you and lets you in and the employees of this tech company that's called three square market overwhelmingly said let's do it we're in on it and so they're going to be implanted with chips And I just got to tell you, I am not a technology-adverse person at all. That creeps me out. I am just not comfortable with the idea of having a chip implanted. And, I mean, I don't know that there could be any health issues from having a chip implanted in me. It just feels like full creep out. Now, when I was at... CES, which I go to typically each January, the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, there were any of a number of systems on display for the workplace and then those for banking and all that using various forms of biometrics, uh, fingerprints, handprints, eye scans, whatever, as a way of identifying you. And... I, ha- I have no problem with that. I just came back into the United States from Europe, and I have a membership 
and a federal program called Global Entry, which allows you to check yourself back into the country instead of going and standing in an immigration line that can be who knows how long. And it's $20 a year to be a member of this. And so I go to a terminal. It reads my hand. It scans my face, verifies that I am the right person, reads my passport, cross-references all that, prints out a form, signs something like kind of like thermally paper, and you go and you're, you're done. You don't have to worry about waiting in lines that could be from five minutes to two hours in immigration. And so that doesn't phase me a bit. It's a, it's a more than two-factor authentication process and gets the job done. And so if somebody wants to, if an employer wants me to enter a building with my, sorry to say paw print, <laughs> that's again, my handprint or my eye scan or a facial recognition scan, fine. I got no problem with that. And if you're not aware, many employers now use facial recognition technology with the digital cameras they have around the workplace anyway. More and more retailers are using facial recognition technology as you come into a store or walk around the store. So this technology exists. And as long as you're comfortable with it, I mean, for me, I would much rather not have to remember to have my ID to click into a TV station or a radio station or whatever. I'd be much happier to just be able to have a facial recognition scan or whatever. But the chip implanted, whoo, I am not in favor of that at all. Those employees, you're fine with it, go for it. April's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, April. Hey, Clark, how are you? Great, thank you. Now, you want to do exactly the opposite. I'm talking about all the ways we connect to the grid. You want to deconnect. I want to deconnect. Is there such a term as deconnect? Did I just make up a word? (laughs) I I don't know. I guess so. (laughs) So (laughs) we'll stick with that word. How are you deconnecting from life? So my husband and I, about three, four, three or four months ago, decided that we want to um, we want to travel the country in a camper with our two small kids um, for about a year. Um, and we decided that we kind of want to live a simpler life. We kind of want to, like you said, deconnect um, and travel. I think the proper word I should have used is disconnect, but we're going to yes, stay with go. deconnect because <laughs> this situation seems to fit my m- imaginary word. Yes. How old are your kids that you're going to travel with for a year? They're very young. Um, they, at the moment, are three months and um, three years. Oh, my goodness. Um, you are yes. so much braver a person than I am. <laughs> well, my husband and I aren't really the homeschooling type, so we have to do this um, before kindergarten gets here. All right. So have you saved up enough money to be able to do this and just travel by camper? We have not saved up enough money, no. Oh. So um, about two um, about two years ago, my husband's um, stepfather unfortunately passed away. Oh, I'm sorry. And he did leave a sizable inheritance. 
Um, and his mother graciously paid for our home. Um, she also um, bought us a vehicle. And wow. she um, also did some remodeling to our home. So in order to fund this trip, we would actually have to dip into our inheritance that is tied into our home. So um, we know that's very risky, um, but it, it, we have two options, I suppose, and that's why I'm calling you today. Um, in order to start planning this trip, uh, we've got to find out how to fund it with our, our inheritance that is tied into um, our home. So we were trying to figure out, do we, do we just actually really disconnect and we sell our home um, and come back and just start completely over, or do we try to somehow get an equity loan to... Um, to fund our trip. All right. Well, before you quit your jobs, you would need to <laughs> do the paperwork for the home equity line of credit. Okay. Um, if you do a home equity line of credit, though, it'll be a floating interest rate. Okay. And you have to be prepared for the fact that the interest rates the Federal Reserve controls and their goal is to raise interest rates or directly, directly impact a home equity line. So if the Federal Reserve okay. raises interest rates a quarter point, then immediately pretty much the home equity line would go up a quarter point if you borrow this money to pay for a year on the road how many years are you anticipating after you reconnect and go back to work and all that would it take you to pay off the money you borrowed for the year um well that would pretty much be um our only debt at that point would you know besides our our basic bills um you know that would be pretty much our only debt. So I guess it would depend on um, how long they would, you know, those home type of home equity loans go for. We're not really sure. This is all new to us. All right. Well, you just used a word that fits right in with what I was going to say. I at this point, I'd only mention home equity lines, but for what okay. you want to do, probably doing a five-year home equity loan would make okay. the most sense. Okay. And with that, you have a fixed rate, and you have sixty months to pay it off. Okay. Now, here's the crazy thing. You'd have to borrow a little bit more than you intend to use for a year because you'd have to start making payments almost right. immediately. Right. But uh, you'd have, when you return from the road, you'd have four more years to pay off that balance. Right. Okay. And that um, would and be, because uh, selling the home would only make sense if you're really thinking after a year, we're, we're likely not going back to our old lives. Right. We, we definitely intend to, um, you know, our, our children are going to be in school. We, we know that we want them to be um, starting kindergarten. Um, we definitely intend to, to come back and settle back down. Then, then um, I would keep the house you have, borrow the money you're going to need for that year, and hit the road with it. You know, very right. so many people dream of getting to do something like you're doing, but they don't get to do it for another like 30 years right and so you're turning this around and you're going to do it now with your kids and that takes a lot of guts it's very scary <laughs> it's very scary we, we've definitely made the decision that it's going to happen but um it is very scary and there's so many other things to think about while while planning something like this but we're super excited well i hope it is a wonderful experience for your whole crew your whole family doing this chris is with us on the clark howard show hi chris hi clark it's an honor to speak with you i really appreciate everything you do well it's great to have you here but you're calling me not because 
it's been a great thing for you. You've got something on your credit report that's messing with you. Yes, sir. So, what happened? Yeah, I, I just, well, I've got, you know, a couple of years ago I was unemployed. So, you know, I had some things that gone to collection. So I've got two items in collection um, from probably 2012. And what I noticed is that, you know, every few months, you know, the name of the company might change and then the date starts over. So I know that there's a limit to how long something can be on your credit report. Seven but, years. Okay. So so, so in date, 2019, um, if they're compliant with the law, that item disappears. Okay. So when when it goes to another company, I notice that the dates change, basically. They, it is illegal date. for them to refresh the date and start it as if it's a new date at a new time. Okay. So does that last for seven years as well? No, the, the it can only be seven years from from the original time the debt went bad on you. Okay, so after that seven years, then even the collections will fall off of, of the credit report Okay, as well? so let's look at this two ways. Legally, yes, but as a practical matter, a lot of times debts will linger on a report, mm-hmm. and what you would do, keep good track of the record from 2012, in the equivalent month of 2019, if it does not fall off your report, you immediately challenge the item being on your report based on age. Okay. And you do so with the collection agency and the credit bureau. And when you notify a collection agency that they are past the seven years and you do so in writing, they, at great financial risk to themselves will not comply with removing that item. Okay. So basically I would send something to the credit reporting agency and to the company? or Yes, you do both at the same that. time. Because when you dispute something with a credit bureau, it triggers a 30-day period. And during that 30-day period, the credit bureau sends through a transmittal to the collection agency saying that you're challenging the item based on age. At the same time, you contact the collection agency. And remember, in writing to have that item removed. Scott's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful, Clark. How about yourself? Great, thank you. You have, I'm told, a crazy story to share with me about booking a rental online for a vacation? Yeah, a couple weeks ago, we booked a vacation for our entire family, which is spread out across multiple states. and we booked it, received confirmation, uh, put 35% down. And then about 10 days later, we received a note from the management company, not where we booked it, but uh, the management company that actually manages the property, stating that there had been a computer glitch, that the price was incorrect, but they had updated it. And for us to maintain the reservation, we would need to pay the difference in the deposit, plus obviously the amount uh, that, that was going to be owed for the entire trip, which went up approximately 20%. Yuck. So, <laughs> so, so, so somebody... I mean, I've never bought something and walked out of the store and 10 days later somebody right. called me back and say, you owe more money. <laughs> All right. So obviously somebody wasn't doing their job at the... Because uh, most places you see listed on these rental sites are managed by property management firms. Right. And somebody had not done a good job maintaining their price schedule for future dates... And so the question about whether or not you can require them to honor the original price or not goes to this. 
are you in a time period where you're able to cancel and receive a full refund of the 35%? Uh, yeah, they've, we've actually already canceled it. So they actually, in the email stating that there was a glitch in the pricing, they, they stated that we could receive 100%, 100% uh, money back if we agreed not to the price increase, which we did not. So Okay, so they are almost certainly able to do that. If you had done a booking, as many of the bookings are, they'll have strict cancel, and then from the second you book, it's non-refundable or a substantial amount of it is non-refundable. Then you've entered into a full contract, and even if they've made a mistake, unless it was a mistake that was so egregious it would be obvious to anyone, then they would have to honor that price. 20% more would not be considered to be an egregious pricing error and they would have had to honor that price. But in a case where it was fully refundable, at the time that they notified you that the pricing was wrong, then you just have to take your money and go find another place to stay. Okay, so even though they had already accepted it. Now, we did receive the original email that said that, you know, this was kind of confirmation of our agreement with them. Right. We have the place secure for this amount of money, and then that's when they came back. Now... If we would have continued on with it, I think we had up until 30 days of the actual reservation where we'd get everything but like 100 bucks back. Yeah, so if you were in a situation where it was not binding on you for a good time from now, then, I mean, you know, you could always find a lawyer who would say, oh, yes, yes, they had uh, made an offer to you, you accepted it, you're in a binding contract, and you can force them to honor it. Good luck with that. Right. So this is an unusual situation. I have heard it over many, many years. Maybe you're like the third person I've ever heard this from. And I think you just know that if they didn't have their act together enough to even have the prices right, who knows what else between now and then. So you just move on. Right. And I think it's great you're all getting together and don't take this as a sign that it's going to be a bad reunion. It's going to be great. All right, have a good trip with your family. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I appreciate you tuning in to The Clark Howard Show. And if you'd like more fun stuff to listen to by podcast, well, we have our Empowerment Zone. This is where you get to hear the stories of people that have done amazing things, either in overcoming hardship in their lives or things they've done to accomplish, go to clark.com slash empowermentzone.